student pastor up here, but I'm very excited to be up here with y'all. Um, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is a really, really neat story, but to fully grasp it, we've got to go back in time a little bit. Uh, and so Israel has just gone through a major, major shift in their history. And so as y'all are flipping over there, we'll, we'll kind of cover this very briefly. It was funny, I was talking to Terry last week about this, and uh, I asked him what I thought was going to be a very simple question, and he, and he loaded me up with ten and a half hours of sermon notes. Um, that is not an exaggeration. All right, so uh, no, it's, it's been great just having that historical context, and it really is, it's, it's rich and it's so good. Uh, but to go back a little bit, there's a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was king over Babylon, and he comes in and he invades Israel. And so many of us are familiar with this from the story of Daniel. And so Nebuchadnezzar then leads this kind of deportation. What they would do is they would take the Israelites and they would spread them throughout Babylon so that they would take them to places where they didn't know the culture or the language, and then they would, they would leave them there in kind of captivity. And this is what we call the Babylonian captivity, and this lasted for some time until uh, their next-door neighbor of this little kind of insignificant place called Persia, led by a guy named King Cyrus, kind of came on the, on the scene very quickly. And when Cyrus took over... He was like, all right, I'm coming through Babylon, and what was not a very long fight at all, he took over Babylon. But when Cyrus did it, he did things a little bit differently. When he came through, he embraced the people. And so he released all of the captives that Babylon had. And so he was like, hey, you can go home, you can stay here, doesn't really matter to me, you're all Persians anyway. And so he kind of embraced this, and so the Israelites not having a nation anymore, they were like, ah, I don't really know. Because see, in this time of captivity, whereas we would normally think that things were really bad, they actually flourished. And if we were to go into Jeremiah, we would see the prophecies of how God is going to flourish them in this time. And so they did really well. In fact, they did better than ever while in Babylon. And so many of them, once they were released, they were like, you know what? I don't really want to go back to Jerusalem. I'm doing real well right here. And so only a few returned to Jerusalem, which left the city in ruins. That It didn't get the, the attention and the rebuilding that it needed. And so there was a guy by the name of Ezra, and he led a charge to rebuild the temple, but the city itself was still in ruin. And so that's kind of where we're going to pick up this morning in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and so it's been about roughly 100 years since the Jews were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. But we're going to find that there's not a whole lot that's been done. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, if you would stand with me, we're going to read Nehemiah 1, 1 through verse 3. And so it says this, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, Now it happened in the month of Shislev, in the twentieth year I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came from certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is in the province who had survived the exile is great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Great, y'all can be seated. Thank y'all. Um, and so Nehemiah, we find, is in the citadel. So he, his family, his household is one of these families that did not return to Jerusalem 
They were doing real well. In fact, as we learn later on in chapter 1, that Nehemiah is actually the cupbearer to the king. And so being this, he has very close proximity with the king. He has the king's trust, literally with his life. He's, he's, he's living real well in the palace. And so as these guys come through the palace, Nehemiah's like, hey, this is my chance. How's Jerusalem? How are things? You know, are things amazing now that, you know, we're able to go back? And his brother's like, no, it's terrible. Like, this is not the report that Nehemiah was hoping for for Jerusalem. It says the remnant there, again, the very few went back. The, the few that did survive, they're in trouble. They're in shame. You see, these enemies were coming in, and the wall around Jerusalem was completely in ruin. And if you don't have a wall, well, you're not doing a whole lot of defending. And so even if we were to go back and look at Ezra, the time that they were building the temple kept getting halted and kept getting halted because of these things. When so Nehemiah here hears about this, and he has this kind of choice. He's like, I don't really know. I don't really know. And so many of us, when we hear about a cause or a concern, we're like, man, that's terrible. Somebody should really do something about that. And sometimes it'll affect us a little bit. Maybe you see like that commercial about the animal rescue and it's got the sad music playing in the background and you're like, man, I want to adopt all those dogs. And then the next commercial comes on and you've completely forgotten about it, right? Like we've all been there. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but Nehemiah, he's hit with this news and look at his reaction in verse 4. I think this is what, it's, it's so incredible. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When Nehemiah heard this, it wasn't just like, oh, that's terrible. He sat down and he wept. Like, I don't know how many of you guys in here have wept recently, but like, that's, that's, like the, that's an ugly cry. This is not like I had a tear. I'm a tough guy. Like He wept. And he mourned, and it says for days, and as we're going to see in a little while, before, from here to chapter 2 is really like a four-month period that he spends praying and fasting and mourning over, this, over this, this city that lies in ruins. He spends months, not moments in prayer. He spends months, not moments, weeping over his city. And so as, when I want to look at today, I, the, my sermon title was, because I kind of forgot that sermon titles were a thing, I'm not going to lie. And so I, I, I was like, no, it's just fine, just put the verses up, we're, we're good. Was Nehemiah's leadership, but really and truly, a more apt would be Nehemiah's heart. And that's really where I want to get to today as we talk, and, it's, and it works out perfectly that we're talking about every member in ministry so that each and every one of us could come and have this heart to come for a cause or a concern or a ministry that we can each and every one of us get plugged into. And so Nehemiah, he's, he's faced with this. He, and the, the walls are broken down and nobody's really going and doing anything about it. You know, it's, it, all this time has passed from where Cyrus is like, y'all can go back if you want. And a little bit of work's been done. The temple's been rebuilt, which is huge victory. Awesome. That's great. But nobody's working on the city. Nobody's working on the wall. None, nothing is being done. And so Nehemiah here, he's faced with an issue. He's like, well, nothing's being done. And so he starts going before God. And, and the rest of chapter 1 is really this amazing prayer where he's kind of like, hey, we've messed up as a people. God, you got every right to do this to us. We messed up. 
You know, we deserved the exile. We deserved all of that. But hey, you know, you did promise that at the end of this you would reunite us. You see, Nehemiah knew the word of God and he knew the promises of God was to reunite his people. And so that was Nehemiah's prayer. God, reunite us. Rebuild Jerusalem. Do this. And he prays this, like, like we said, for months. And so I want to jump ahead to, to chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart, and I was very much afraid. So he's before the king. He's bringing him his cup. He's doing his job. And the king's like, what's your problem? Why are you sad? Like, you're not sick. Like, what's, like, is this, is this poison? Do I need to know something? Like, he's, he's like, I need to know what's happening right now. And I think for many of us, we're just like, nothing, it's fine. Like, whenever somebody asks you, how are you? Even, doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Oh, it's okay, I'm fine. But Nehemiah here, he's got kind of this, this, this is a decision moment. Do I tell him what's going on? Do I tell him, no, I'm okay? Like, what am I about to do? Like, this is the king. And so in verse 3, he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city where the place my father's graves lies in ruins, its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And so he's like, king, like, I... I'm upset because my city's destroyed. And the king's like, yeah, who cares? What are you going to do about it? Like what, do you, like, what are you asking? Let's cut to the chase here. Like, the king's not much for small talk, clearly. What are you requesting? And here, I think this is like the greatest moment in Nehemiah because it's, it's sink or swim right here. Like, what is it that you want? And Nehemiah here, has, he has this amazing choice to make. And he's saying, he, he could take the easy route and say, King, somebody should really go. We should send somebody to rebuild this wall. We should send somebody to help this. Or he has this other choice. And, that, and that's the exact choice that he takes. In verse 5, he says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now again, Nehemiah is not a general contractor. He is a cupbearer. He is living real nice in the palace. He has the trust of the king. He has close proximity to the king. And so people treat him well because they, if they want to get to the king, they got to go through him, right? Like he's got all of this status. He's living life He's doing all the best things. But when he hears about the city of Jerusalem, when he hears about the destruction of his people's home, he says, King, like, I got to go. I got to go rebuild this. I got to go do this. Now think about the king for a second. If, if his cupbearer, whom he trusts with his life, leaves him, that's, that's, that's leaving him vulnerable. Now, I'm sure there, there was others that he could easily have filled in, but there's a huge bond of trust here. This is somebody that he spends time with. This is the, this is the king we're talking about. And for his cupbearer to leave, leaves him vulnerable. And so for, for Nehemiah to even ask this is very bold. 
But he says, King, like, I got to go. Like, send me. And if we were to go on and read through it, the king does end up sending him once he gives him a date to return, which he blows way past that. But he says, yeah, you can go. But Nehemiah doesn't stop there. He says, hey, since I'm going, it would be great if you could write me a letter of safe passage. And he's like, all right, whatever. And while you're at it, if you could write your guy in the forest so that he can chop all the wood and get that ready for us, it would be great too. All right, here, here you go. Now go. And so Nehemiah goes, and he ends up affecting the city greatly. And, and in 52 days, they said, they repaired the wall. Nehemiah led this charge to repair the wall around Jerusalem. And at that time, him and Ezra, they, they would gather everybody in the square, and Ezra would read Scripture. And the people were weeping. And Nehemiah's like, whoa, 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 like this is supposed to be a celebration. Like we rebuilt the wall, we're, we're building the city back, we're doing great things. Why are we sad? And the people are like, well, we know how dumb we've been. We know we've messed up and we don't want to do this again. We don't want to go through exile again. We don't want to see Jerusalem or the temple especially destroyed again. And so Nehemiah and Ezra have this task ahead of them to kind of lead these people out of this. But all of that comes from this moment right here. Where Nehemiah hears of a concern for his people. And he spends months in prayer and seeking after God's heart. And so I want to ask us, when's the last time we wept over a concern that God has brought before you? Are we weeping over the state of our schools? Are we weeping over the state of our country? Are we weeping and mourning and going to God for months rather than moments in prayer? And then when we have these opportunities, taking them, saying, yeah, Send me. I think it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing parallel to when Isaiah is before God in the throne room in Isaiah chapter 6 in his vision. And he comes before God and he's like, woe is me. Like, I shouldn't be here. Like, I, this is the presence of God. Like, I don't deserve this. And they touch a hot coal to his mouth and he's purified and he hears the voice of God. And God's saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah is just like, well, I'm, I'm here. Use me. Send me. Nehemiah was right there where God had him. Coming out of exile, nobody else was doing it. Nehemiah says, King, send me. Use me. I need to go and rebuild this wall because nobody else is stepping up to do it. Nobody else was coming. And I love this story because we see Nehemiah faced with choice after choice after choice where he could have taken the easy way out. He could have said, nah, king, it's fine. Just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm fine. Everything's fine. We're cool. He could have, he could have heard of the destruction of his city and said, man, that's terrible. Like somebody should really do something about that. But Nehemiah goes before God with brokenness. And God uses his brokenness to restore God's city.
But it began in these months of prayer and seeking God and fasting and mourning and, and heartfelt desire to know God's heart. And so I want to ask us, church, are we seeking God that way? Are we seeking God for those that we know that are our next door neighbors or those that we work with? Or those that we go to school with. Or those that are around us that we know are lost. Are we saying, hey, you know, somebody should really invite them to church. No, well. But so often that's our attitude. When God's like, hey, wake up. That's what you're there for. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bring the gospel to them. Don't worry about bringing them to church. Just bring the gospel to them. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. He said, I'm not waiting on somebody else to do something. I'm going to go do this. God's put this on my heart, so this is what I'm going to do. And God sees him through, and it's not easy. Like He has setback after setback. There's times when, when guys are building and working on the wall, and they've got like a, a sword or something in one hand, and they're working on the wall with the other, and they're, they're looking out for enemies, and they're doing all this stuff. But Nehemiah never quits. He goes to God in prayer some 14 or 15 times throughout the book of Nehemiah. It's an incredible, incredible praying man. But anytime he's faced with something, he says, all right, God, what do you got for this? What do you got for this? This is not a man that spends moments on a concern, but he spends months in prayer. And church, that's my prayer for us. It's my prayer for the students. That's my prayer for each and every one of us. That when we see hurting around us that we ask God God what can I do about this God what would you have me do for this God how would you use me in this situation because I promise you if you're looking for hurting you do not have to go further than North Oconee High School there's a lot of it in there there's a lot of it in Malcolm Bridge there's a lot of it all over in all of these schools these kids are hurting, and they want something real. I, all summer, I had the opportunity to go to camp, to camp, to camp, and it was crazy, and it was like a, it was a crazy summer, and I was gone a lot, but one thing that I noticed from each and every camp was that these students are looking for something real. They're looking for a real pursuit of God. They're looking for people that really care about them, that are going to put in the time with them and for them. I love that when we went to camp, we all had those prayer bracelets and y'all were praying over us. That was the coolest thing. And we had letters that we could give the students that said, hey, I may have never met you, but we're praying for you and we love you. That's the kind of church that I want us to be all year. That's the kind of church that I want us to be. There's this old adage that says, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And that's, like, I never want to see our church even get close to that place. I want to see our church be a place where we're full of Nehemiah saying, this is the problem, this is the concern, and this is what we're going to do about it. This is the concern that God's put on my heart, and I'm pursuing it prayerfully. I'm pursuing it for Him. Not so that I can say, hey, look at me, look at how good a job I did. 
but that we can look at this and say, God accomplished something incredible through this. And it started at a place of prayer. It started at a place of brokenness. Because God will use that brokenness for His restoration, just like He did in Nehemiah. You see, each and every one of us, we have these different gifts, talents, abilities, and passions. And if yours line up with mine, great. Let's work together. But if they don't, hey, that's awesome. How can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can each one of us pursue those around us so that nobody's getting missed? And so at the beginning, I talked about this every member in ministry. There's sheets out there. There's so many different ministry areas. And a lot of those sheets are blank. A lot of them are blank. And so that's my challenge. Don't wait for somebody else to step up and do something that God has put on your heart to do. Don't wait for somebody else thinking, well, I don't know enough. Or I don't, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know what I'd be getting into. Because ministry, it, it can be very hard. Like, I joke and I say that, like, I have the best job in the world because I get to play Ultimate Frisbee all the time. And that's, that's halfway true, okay? Halfway true. Not going to lie there. It's a great game. It's a great game. But it's amazing because you get to see God move in the lives of these students all the time. But on the flip side of that is when you meet with students whose families just aren't there. We've got a boy that comes and, and hangs out with us sometimes, and I mean, he's homeless. He doesn't have anywhere to go. His family kicked him out just because he turned 18. And we're like, all right, bye. You're on your own now. You see, those parts of ministry that we don't always see, it's hard. Nehemiah's job was very hard. And so I don't want to sit here and say, like, oh, it's super easy. If you go sign up out there, we'll put the training wheels on, and we'll do it all together, and we're going to make it really easy for you. Because it's not always easy, but it's worth it. And I think that's one of the coolest things about the Bible, is that Jesus never says it's going to be easy, but he does say it's going to be worth it. And that's ministry. There's really, really high highs, and there's really, really low lows. But what's beautiful is when all of that comes together, and we see God move because you finally said, yeah, use me. God, you've given me these gifts, talents, abilities. Let's put them to use. Let's go. So that's my prayer. That's my prayer is that we would have the heart of Nehemiah to say, God, here I am. Now let's go. All right. Y'all awake a little bit? I'm not getting a whole lot of feedback. All right. But I'm going to pray. And then the band's going to come back up here. God, we just thank you. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to go into your word. God, for the heart of Nehemiah. God, I pray for each and every person in here that we would just, we would just come to know you more. That we would come to know your heart for your people. God, one of the craziest things we can pray is that, God, you, you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. But that's my prayer right now. God, break our hearts. Tear them in two in a way that only you could restore it through your good. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for each and every person in here.
Thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.